Hi, welcome back to Prey vs. Predator. In this episode, we are discussing Shiny Happy People, the Duggar Family Secrets documentary. We are going to discuss some of the themes of episodes one and two and how they relate to coercive control. Trigger warning, we will be discussing sexual abuse, sexual assault. So if those things are sensitive to you, please uh, know what you're in for. If you have any comments or things to add to our conversation, if you could look for us on our social media, our Instagram or YouTube, uh, we would love to hear from you because this is a discussion for all of us in the community of Prey vs. Predator. Before we begin, if you find this content useful, please consider subscribing and leaving a rating and review. This is the best way you can help get this content out to those who need it. Thanks. And now to our episode. Welcome to Prey vs. Predator. We are so happy that you are joining us today. I'm Jill and I am here with my two lovely friends, PJ and Amber. And I'd also like to introduce you to Sophia. You've heard Sophia on many of our episodes and she is joining us again because she has an awful lot to say about this. We are talking about the documentary Shiny Happy People, Duggar Family Secrets and I would love to hear from you three ladies. How did it sort of hit you? I think for me, I've always been really curious about them. I have an addiction to TLC. I know it's also called the lurking channel and I'm embarrassed to say that. Okay, fine. But um, so I think I was always really interested in it, but I would kind of hate watch it because there were certain elements of it that I didn't like. And I remember I had a reaction. I would tell PJ that I would get so irritated that the older girls would, she would pop out these children, the mom, and then she'd be like, keep having babies because the older girls would take care of them. And that just pissed me off. Irresponsible parenting. Yeah. And that's not even like the documentary. That was just my Mm -hmm. reaction to the Duggars. So when this documentary came out, I was very interested because I have a a fascination with all things fundamentalism and all that, maybe because of my history. So I was happy to watch it. Some things really resonated from my own history and which we're going to talk about, but that's where I came from. Somebody else? Well, for me, it had a, I had multiple responses because on the one side I was like at the time of the show I remember my children watching it I was watching it a lot of that teaching was actually part of what I knew and understood and even parts of it to be true but it was like the extreme end of it so I wouldn't say that far but purity culture for sure we'll talk later I know about the umbrella of covering like all of those things felt very normal I didn't realize it was like then watching the documentary as I've deconstructed like wow I that Kool-Aid had definitely drizzled Mm -hmm. down into a lot of mainstream church teaching and I had no idea where it had come from so all of that was like the grief of believing a lot of those things as well as like wow I can't believe I ever believed any of those things and just yeah the the incongruency between my earlier self and who I am now yeah PJ what about you you know, I was watching it more out of a perspective of looking at it from a course of control um, example. And so when I saw that documentary, I didn't have a ton of experience with the show originally. Uh, I think I had Except seen a little me. bit it. <laughs> yeah, the, the really the main the main thing was um, Amber complaining about how this mom popped out children and forced the older daughters to look after the children. And, um, and so I remember, I remember her being mad about it a lot. <laughs> and, uh, I remember rants, like, um, uh, the rants would sound like, uh, she just pops out those children. She's not raising those children. The, the daughters are raising those children. Sure, yeah. That's who she's got raising the children. The daughters, the daughters, that's not her raising the children. <laughs> and it, would, it would go on for some time like that. Um, so that was mainly my, um, uh, introduction to the show. Um, but of course, you know, it, it's sort of a pop culture show so it did impact me in that way of you know I knew there was this family they were raising multiple children and they were very efficient in how they did so and in my mind it was a little bit like John and Kate plus eight like Mm -hmm. lots of kids two parents lots of work that was about it we should maybe um, tell people that if they haven't watched the documentary there is going to be spoilers ahead So if you don't want to be spoiled, go watch the documentary and come back. Please come back. But if you don't care, just listen to us. 
So the documentary essentially starts right back in the 80s with Jim Bob and Michelle meeting and having a relationship, which I was a little irritated by when I heard that, you know, their first date was four hours of him mansplaining Christianity to her. But, you know, everybody to their own. I don't know if you had a reaction to that but at all. she was so blown away and learned so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that really drove me crazy. Every time I saw Michelle and Jim Bob um, on the screen at the same time, she just looked at him with these adoring puppy dog eyes. And is that real? Like, I love my husband dearly, but... I don't look at him like that. And, and I don't speak in a high-pitched voice. Yeah, yes, I, I think that is super interesting just in terms of what, what we're reacting to right off the bat. But I think um, like what I want to go back to a little bit is just kind of like the what the documentary was about in terms of it was a documentary about a family who had lots of kids. And what we didn't see, I don't think, in the documentary was the family was guided by these principles mm -hmm. of, um, of, a, of a religious organization. And they saw this as a way of promoting the value system and the doctrines of this religious organization without specifying them openly. So I think what you're talking about right now, Jill, is part of the doctrine, part of the teaching that you wouldn't have seen where it comes from, but it would have come from this... Um, IBLP, which is started by Bill Gothard. Yeah. I think we're going to talk about him in the next episode. Yes, we will I actually grew up having it called Institute of Basic Youth Conflicts, and I, I don't know if that was like a... I think that's a later thing that he... Remember he created a bunch of yeah. them? Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, he really liked acronyms. Yeah, he, so Jim Dog. Jim Dog. Jim Bob. Jim Bob. <laughs> that's a Freudian slip. <laughs> yeah. Jim Bob. And that's pretty funny. Jim Bob uh, found Bill Gothard and his teachings in the 80s. So it sounds like he pretty much um, set up his young adulthood in these principles. So this is the way they navigated their family. And him and the Holtz, which is another family that we meet in the documentary, um, and it's all about the way you should navigate your life. And uh, I guess it's gender roles and all that. But do you have something to share about what IBLP stands for? Or You look like you're just dying to say something. Yeah. What I found interesting in this, and especially in the first episode, is they talk about um, this IBLP. And they have a little bit of a script where they have the leader, Gothard, talking about what what it was for, like what you would get out of it. And so I think that was really interesting. The, um, he talked about how he could offer lasting answers for resolving family conflicts, overcoming fears of inferiority, removing guilt and bitterness, conquering destructive habits, establishing marriage harmony. So I think that one of the things that they were trying to get across in this series, unbeknownst to the sort of innocent viewers watching, was they were trying to show and demonstrate that they had all of these things wrapped up. So establishing marriage harmony, well, then you have the wife look adoringly at the husband, and you have her use a soft, sweet, kind voice. And so that presents a really powerful image of why does somebody look adoringly? Um, at somebody, you know, you, you just said you don't look at your husband that way. Um, and yet I bet and I love him and, and you love him. But but I bet that every second of every minute of every day, you're not adoring him and, and, and just, you know, like like exalting him. And so this is a way of attracting people. So so why, wait a second. If I join this this group, if I do life like they do life, my wife will adore me. She will mm. look at me like I am a god. a god, a king, somebody to put on a pedestal. And the woman is like, oh, look at how wonderful he must be because she's just adores him. I don't look at my husband that way. He's just a regular person. Um, he's just a human being. Um, but, but her husband must be some godlike creature who is worthy of this. And so I think part of what they're doing is selling something that you don't know they're selling. Totally. You think you're watching. We kind of said like, 
some of the other TLC shows that were John and Kate plus eight. It's just the dynamics mm. of a family and how they're functioning with so many children. Yeah. But the difference in this whole show and the the agenda that was driving force is not it's not uh, implicit. In watching the show, you just think you're watching another family, mm-hmm. how they're doing it. But you're right. It was driven by this message. Your children can behave like our children. Yeah. Your children yeah. will be respectful like our children. Obedience. Your marriage Meek will and be mild. strong like Not mine. Yes, absolutely. If. Meek, mild. Look at those girls do those chores. I, if only my children would step up to the plate just 25% of what those girls do. Like there's all of those parts that sell something of this utopian family system, if you'll just follow. But what we don't know is that there's all these criteria and rules that are driving it in what they want to create as a societal norm. Well, it's founded on coercive control. Yes. Or maybe remind people about what coercive Mm -hmm. control is. So, you know, at Prey versus Predator, I think our main goal is to explore emotional abuse and how coercive control techniques are used to maintain and keep victims in their situation, what we call prey. So I think one of the, some of the hallmarks, like the the acronym, because we like acronyms too. Um, <laughs> one of the acronyms that we use here for describing course of control, like some of the foundational principles that you'll find in any relationship that's based in course of control. Um, we say there's four and we call it the flip acronym. Um, it's fear, loving moments, isolation, and punishment. So F-L-I-P, not to be confused with... I-B-L-P. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So when you see some of these behaviors and this family, on the surface, you don't see any of these behaviors except for the loving moments. Those are the the Mm. only behaviors you see behind the scenes and what the documentary does a fairly good job of is exposing the fear, the isolation, and the punishments. Absolutely. And because those are all wrapped up in loving moments, which we'll talk about how they do that, then that acronym FLIP is so perfect because they take this control and they flip it to look lovely. Mm. And it's so intense. And so that's what I think I what I want to explore as we go through this. Um, so that's what I was burning to say. I think, too, that we should discuss is the idea of gender and how gender roles kind of fit into that, because that's what the Duggars were really, really, it seemed pretty clear, right? You know, the the girls take care of the uh, the children and the household duties and pop out the babies and the men were not really sure what they do because they didn't really follow them so much. But that idea, I liked one of the, I guess one of the intellectuals I brought onto the documentary was it was performer performing gender, performative gender, which I really think is interesting, especially in our, our time. So maybe that was part of the fascination, like girls act like girls and boys act like boys. And there was no real crossover, which is such a fearful state that people are in now because gender is being thrown away on some level. So this is what the documentary did really well was showing how these gender roles were quite attractive to people. Mm. And in this movement, it was all about that. Like the wife looks adoringly. The wife has a soft, uh, childlike feminine voice that is easy, easily controlled. If you talk a certain way, you are not as scary, maybe? Or masculine. Perhaps, yeah. Yeah. But one thing I did notice was that the boys didn't really have a voice until they got married. There's a there's a scene where um, they're all taking violin lessons all at the same time. And I, I don't think... I, I don't think that um, this image will ever leave me, but I just saw the boys' faces were blank. Like, like I do not have a voice. I don't want to be doing this, but I can't say that I don't want to be doing this. Um, so, yeah, I do agree with um, sort of enhanced gender norms. But when we think of, of um, men having a voice, 
and women not having a voice, I think that even those young men didn't have voices either. But then all of a sudden, maybe they get to adulthood and they get married and they're all of a sudden supposed to be put in a role of having the voice of their family. And I wonder what it's like for them, you know? If that you, is part of the hierarchy, right? Totally. You, children must submit to their parents. So you don't you don't have a right to that voice um, until you move to marriage and your new leadership role where now finally you get the voice. But at the same time, you're right, they're quiet, but they're being groomed from such a young age by the male role models that are before them. Like this is where we're going eventually. As long as I submit to my parents to this level, eventually I will have my own family and I will have my moment in time where I get to be the, the top under God, yeah. right? Yeah, and I wonder how many of them really are excited for that moment and how many of them are like, oh, this is what I'm going to have to do. Well, it's got to be overwhelming. If you've never had a voice, you've never been able to really express yourself and all of a sudden you're thrust into this position that you've never been in. Like, it's got to be terrifying. So should we talk about that authority? That was one of the primary lessons of this Bill Gothard teaching. Does somebody want to describe it? I think Sophia would be perfect for this. Okay, go for it, Sophia. Oh, the umbrella. Yes, the umbrella. (laughs) That that graphic kept coming up right in the document. It was like the cringe graphic, because I feel like that particular teaching infiltrated multiple denominations. I think it's really a strong component of mainstream Christian culture, yeah. um, at least in my experience yeah. and what I've seen. It was in my and history. If you haven't seen the documentary, it's a picture of God is the top, is considered like covering of protection. So a picture of your umbrella is represents safety, represents God's blessing, represents all the things that go right and well, like mindful children, protection, your marriage is protected, your finances, like all of the things that are good in life, your health, everything is dependent on you staying underneath the umbrella. God is the ultimate authority, top umbrella. Under the umbrella is husband and wife. Um, First husband, right? And then obviously the wife is under the authority of the husband and she submits to him as he submits to God. And then you have this hierarchy and then the children come under the parents and how they are kind of at the bottom of the umbrella. And the the key is that if you are a father who steps outside of the will of God, then you remove the umbrella from your wife and children. Mm. If you, so, so the sin consciousness becomes like you cannot you cannot go outside of that because now all of the people that you love are in danger. And that's that fear piece that we talked about in yeah. the co- course of control. So you have all of that. And children are afraid if you don't listen to your parents, right, you are outside of well, the Well, that's protection. what one of them said. Even Jill Duggar, who's, you know, a grown woman with her own children, is like, I was raised to be afraid if I went against what they said or thought. Absolutely. It's so like it's magical thinking to think that, you know, if I do A and B, then C will happen. And really, it's a way for for people to control their own destiny, actually. Well, think of using the verse, children, obey your parents that you may live a long life. That's literally it's life or death, whether you obey your parents. That kind of weight of how much responsibility is on you, or they would say opening the door for evil to come into your home was another expression that that um, I know is inside of that teaching. You've opened the door for evil to come in, and you're personally responsible for doing that and putting your family in danger. Well, and that's that's where that uh, as you're talking about the umbrella idea, mm-hmm. the umbrella idea conceptualizes so many of these course of control techniques. Mm-hmm. So the the first one being fear, mm-hmm. right? It sets up a system, a total system of fear. It also sets up a system of punishment, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, it's it's framed with loving moments. Because it's the blessing. It's, it's the blessing. It's the protection. It's the covering. It's, it's the ease. It's the simplicity of it. Like, so there's this life-givingness to it, or or that's the framing for it. So there's the loving moments. There's the fear. There's the punishment. And then there's also an intense isolation. 
because you cannot go outside the umbrella. You can't have your own thoughts or wishes or even, mm-hmm. even you know, if you Ask believe a in question. or even hear from God yourself, you mm-hmm. know, like what you would say hear from God, which is I would argue maybe your own intuition or whatever else. You can't even do that because if your father figure or the pastor has something different, well, no, I will tell you what God says, not not you, not your own intuition, not your own feelings or thoughts or convictions, mm-hmm. which I just think is so interesting. I was going to read out a quote from the IBLP, which is, welcome to the children's seminar in the Institute of Basic Life Principles, where we learn about authority and the importance of obeying the spoken and unspoken wishes of those who are responsible for us. Imagine the pressure of having to even obey the unspoken. That's what I just, I, the unspoken I wishes. So the children have to be like on guard constantly or just always scanning their parents for cues of what their wishes are That's for them. That's terrifying. I remember hearing it and I had to write it down because it would just really, really spoke to me. I don't know which episode it was. Do you remember the children singing those songs? So they're even they were indoctrinating the children to that submissive role, even in songs and play and even from infants on, right? Do you remember talking about that, Joe? Yeah, I do. One thing that just shocked me was they really believe they're right. Like the the superiority that they feel and the certainty that they feel that the leaders really felt like they had heard from God and that they were right. Again, it just shocks me. There's no critical thinking is required. No education is required. Uh, I, before we started recording, we were talking about, um, uh, Well, Bill Gothard, who we'll talk about in our next episode more, but um, there was also a gentleman by the name of Josh Harris. And and, um, a while, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, he he, uh, wrote a book called How I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Was it 20 years ago? It It was was a a long time ago. Anyway, isn't it so interesting? And Amber, I think it was you that said that Bill Gothard, who is telling all of the world how to... Uh, live out their marriage and bring up their kids, not married, no kids. Josh Harris, who talks about how to achieve a healthy relationship, not married. Like when he wrote that book, he was he not wrote, Yeah, when he wrote that book. Like we really are sheep. How or, these people walk in and go, I have the answers. Yeah. God has told me. Well, our, uh, sheep are prey. Absolutely. I, I mean, so the, I mean that I think, I think, when we're trying to express to people this idea of prey versus predator, it's easy for us to look at predators. It's easy for us to say, look, there's a predator. Look, there's a predator. Look, there's a predator. And I think it's we are going to miss the point if we don't see that we are, if we're not a predator, we are prey. Because we think in ways as human beings, if you're not predatory, you think with a certain amount of innocence, you think with a certain amount of compassion and empathy, and you make an assumption that that is what other people are thinking as well. So it does not occur to you that this person speaking from the front who is filled with certainty and superiority, which we all are drawn to as humans, we all want an answer, we all want clarity, we all want to be right, um, and the best mom, the best wife. Yeah. So if you're telling me all the ways that I can do those things and raise my children the best possible way, according to God, which is what I want for my life, mm-hmm. how how vulnerable am I yeah. when you are so certain and, and you're mm-hmm. promising me the sun, moon, and stars that I can actually obtain that if I'll listen to you? And when I have no construct in my heart and mind for you using that to control and manipulate and coerce me. Because it's not part of my DNA. It's, it's not It's not in my wheelhouse no. to think through. So so this is where this is where the prey get involved because they become there are some assumptions of goodness and kindness. There's one moment I know we're skipping we're gonna skip to a, a, a different scene and a different episode, but I think it speaks to this point really well where Jill Duggar signs a piece of paper that her dad has left out for her. 
And Jill Duggar is total prey. She's she's born prey. She's raised prey. She's groomed to be prey. Um, she's kind, nice, empathetic, loving person. And so when there is a piece of paper, she signs it because her dad, in her mind, would never mm-hmm. be leaving a piece of paper there to coerce her, to control her, to trick her. Because under the umbrella, the umbrella would say that her dad is there to protect her. Absolutely. So trust it. Mm -hmm. And you would be bad and wrong not to. Because And Prey is going to say, okay, because I can't conceptualize that this person designed to protect me, this loving moment person, actually is trying to frighten and hurt and coerce and And, control me. And what was that? What was that one document that, that Jill had to sign? That was uh, giving away her um, for the next few years as an adult. Right. All the money that she would earn from T- right. TLC. Would go to her father go instead. Go to her father instead. Yeah, and that they couldn't travel or do mission work like they wanted to. Everyone, we want to take a quick break to remind you about our Patreon page. 100% of this podcast is self-funded and we can't keep it going by ourselves. So if you want to help arm the prey of the world, please consider becoming a regular Patreon supporter. You can give as much or as little as you want. Anything helps. Thanks so much. And now back to our episode. The other thing I was noticing while watching this is in our podcast, we use the term predator and we use the term prey. And how in this documentary, they were talking about the giftings. And that was a bit triggering for me because that idea of like, it's very uh, church culture, the way I was raised, it was like, what is your gift? And but in IBLP, they would divide it between profit or mercies. And the way they discussed it, too, is the prophet could say and do what they like, and the mercies were the ones who had to forgive them. And I would say that the mercies are like prey. So if you are tender-hearted, if you are open, if you are don't even register that predatorial behavior, you would be put into this mercy group. That means you have to suck it up. You have to take it because you bestow. It's still, it, it's like a reflection on the, the predator. It's not even about you. You, the the term mercy is about giving it to somebody else. So it's not even like, oh, you're a generous, kind person. No, 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 you're mercy because you need to give it to the the prophets who are going to make mistakes, but they are the ones, they are your covering. They are the ones who say and can do what they like, which I would argue predatorial. Oh, yeah. For sure. And even culturally, I've seen that even today, because there's a whole like movement for prophets and whatever, we won't get into that. But there is this idea of like, I hear from God, I can say and do what I like. And I, I would even argue that even political figures, they have their opinions and I can say and do what I like because I have, I don't know, I'm in control. I have authority. I want authority. And if you aren't created like that if you're not trying to trying to hurt people or get authority or tell people what to do well then you're a mercy giver you give you give mercy you take it it's it it reminded me the reason I was triggered by it is in my story with my mother she would hurl insults at me and I felt like I had to be a recycling plant for it I would take it take it in and I would bring out good Mm. which I see that in this, in this documentary, it can even get me going right now, is this idea of I'm a mercy giver. So I take your abuse and I bring out good. I give you mercy. I give you mercy because you're obviously going to make mistakes. Well, Josh Duggar makes mistakes. What's his wife? She's a mercy giver. She gives him mercy, even though he's a diagnosed predator who's got some inclinations that wouldn't be safe in her household. She is still giving back mercy. So if we've got the predator and the prey and the prey are mercy givers, the other thing I was thinking is that they're taught not to have their critical thinking. Like their critical thinking is forced off, turned off. And uh, there was one quote, another quote, 
that I just thought was so powerful about this. It's um, critical thinking is turned on yourself. You begin cannibalizing yourself with over-criticizing yourself. Am I doing it right? Rather than criticizing the system as a whole, if you're preoccupied with self-examination, you won't have any energy to challenge the system itself. That I can't remember who wrote that. I'm sorry, whoever said that on the documentary. But I just thought that was so powerful. Because if you're a prey in these kind of unfortunate family systems, or even systems in general, you begin to look, I have to overanalyze myself. And in that term, self-cannibalizing. Yeah, That would be my, like, I'm going to take my person's abuse, my mother's abuse on me, and I'm going to recycle that and turn that into good. I'm essentially cannibalizing myself. Yeah. And this system, IBLP, I would argue, does that to people. Well, and I, I, I think, um, okay, so let's just say it. Sexual abuse is rampant in this system. And in the doc, they talk about, you know, if you're struggling, if you have been abused sexually, be thankful be thankful that God has chosen you for that because you can take that and you can, like Amber, like you said, you can turn it into mercy. Like, how messed up is that? Be thankful that God has chosen you to be abused. Mm, don't think that that actually happened. Well, and I, I think this this is where the isolation part comes in because you're isolated not just from other people, you're isolated from other ideas, other concepts, other constructs, other challenges, and you have nothing else to do but cannibalize yourself because you are not allowed to ask the leader, you're not allowed to question the leader. The idea that this doctrine has been set up by a predator for the predator, for other predators, and other predators come along and eat it up, and it's perfect for them. Now, yes, uh, you know, um, another person talks in the documentary um, about this system designs predators. They actually use that word and create predators. I have it written down here. Yeah, what's the The Institute raises little predators. Yeah, and it also, I'm going to argue, raises little prey. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. And, and so, because we need the prey to give the predators power. And there can't be that many predators. There has to be a finite amount of predators because the prey are the ones who are going to do most of the work. And thank goodness that our, our general um, constitution as humans is we really don't have a huge percentage of predators in our population, maybe 10, 20%. So let's say this guy doubles that and there's 40% predators. You're still so going to have- creating more predators. Even if you're creating more predators, because sometimes, you know, um, if I have a choice between being a prey or a predator- Predator might look a lot more attractive to some people where they may not naturally, they may naturally be leaders, but not predators. But if that's your only choice, um, you might get funneled into a predatory mindset or predatory behaviors, even if that's not your nature. Something I've been thinking about is that when you have a prey brain, you think of the person who's above you in authority as being a person. Like, for example, I, I remember teaching this. I remember believing this, living this, that submitting to my husband would not be hard because he is submitted to God and God only wants the best for me right. and my family and my children. So my prey brain thinks this is beautiful yeah. because God is so loving. God is the perfect parent the perfect loving father. So if you're going to be a perfectly loving father to my children, you are going to sacrifice yourself for me as your wife. Why wouldn't I want to submit to that? Because it's beautiful because you are promoting the best possible interest for, for me, for my children, for our family, for our church community. And so my prey brain sees this as a very safe system. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but predators, on the other hand, can use that power 
we know, obviously, in the coercion. And then all of a sudden, and I do think the boys that were innocent starting out, they're they're learning how to submit, they're learning all of that role. I know when you are you are um oppressed long enough and you have no voice and you have no authority, it's the classic bully on the playground, right? You might be bullied at home where you have no power. Now I'm in the playground. I finally get Mm -hmm. my own voice. I get control. I get power. And you end up using it in a way that ends up overpowering another person because you were overpowered your whole life. I think that's when the springs come loose is when these boys who had to submit for so long finally get their turn to have the control, to have the power. And if your nature is not one to abuse that, maybe it will be minimal in its expression. But if you are a person who thrives on power, you have you have some tendencies towards more predatory behavior, then you're going to see that escalate. Absolutely. Oh yeah, I don't I think that's exactly the dynamic that happens. Well, the discipline. Let's talk about discipline. You know, it's that's the idea is the, is the person in authority can give discipline. So if you are God, you're disciplining your children, I guess, and if you're the you know, the father, the head of the household, you give discipline to your wife and if you're the Didn't wife. Did they even say that you could spank your wife? Yeah, that's wow. the whole. Well, think about think about you've got you've got this predator Mm-hmm. Gothard, and he's created this curriculum, and the curriculum has to be course of control because that's how you keep everybody under your power. And so he sets himself up as the person who's going to teach you. And he said, "There's a quote on in the show. Gothard's quote is, "I know the right thing to do about anything." Did he actually say, "Wow"? Like just the idea that someone says that, and I was even really thinking to his story, like he was a young man in the 60s creating this system, not married, didn't have kids. And there was something about, I saw my friends in high school make mistakes and I knew how the, the way they should live or something to that effect. And I thought, wow, the amount of arrogance that that would take, that I'm doing life correctly and I can fix you by following my principles. I guess it's a predator. He's, you know, card-carrying predator and we find out that that's true. But the, the amount of arrogance to believe that, but how attractive it is for some people, well, he's got the answers. Well, he says, here's another one. The way to be free is to learn the wishes of your authority. (laughs) so so so, i mean i mean we're packaging this as prey we're gonna be naturally i think prey are sort of naturally wanting connection naturally wanting um they almost have a a submissive part to them because they don't want trouble they don't want conflict Mm -hmm. they don't want disagreement we want happy marriages yes yeah and and wonderful parents and and to give and to love and to uh, to be generous, and these are beautiful natures, and so they're coming with all these beautiful, like, oh, I want to be free. If and 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 exactly, Sophia, what you're saying is, I think, so spot on in terms of, um, and and you're offering it because you you know that my 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 leader is going to give that to me. Why would they not? I trust them. You're bringing all these beautiful things. That in the hands of a predator, we've talked about this how many times, are weaponized. Mm -hmm. So they weaponize the beauty of the prey and they they offer what we all in our hearts have a tendency to be addicted to, which are certainty, clarity, simplicity, superiority. I want to know I'm right. I want to know I'm doing the right thing. I want to know I'm making people happy. I want to know I'm in God's will or I'm in my partner's will or my parents' will. And then we belong because we want to belong. Yes. Yeah. And and that and so that's the hook, I think. And this the, all this doctrine is done is absolutely designed to give predators power, to protect their power, and then to silence and rob the prey of their voice. Mm. And all of the doctrine is designed to rob prey of their voice. Think about a, a, a mother 
without this training would never come up with the idea no. of that blanket training that oh, that's oh. that with the babies and how the baby is uh, correct me if I get get it wrong but they are on the blanket and would have a toy nearby that they want and they like mm-hmm. which is a natural toy. behavior yeah. a favorite toy and as soon as they reach for the toy they are punished yeah the mom says like you are not to leave the blanket yeah Oh, but we're going to put a really enticing thing here for you. Oh. And so think about yeah. like learned helplessness where or breaking a child, your will. you are literally breaking like an animal. You are breaking the child's will. You are breaking all the natural in- instinct that a baby has to be curious, to yeah. wonder, yeah. to explore. To be messy. It all right. Matt, I bet you. Those I can only all- imagine food time for an oh, infant. Yeah. Like all of these ways that from the very smallest of children, I'm sure the sleep training would have been off the hook, right? Like all the ways that natural instincts are are um, broken off but, of children from from their first And to find out what their real gifting is rather than just being merciful. Merc- like maybe they're creative. Maybe they're loud and fun and rambunctious. Maybe they're going to be, you know... Anyway, sorry, I cut you off. No, I, I was just going to say, you. you I, I wish I'd written down the list, Sophia, that you just gave. Um, uh, when the child's reaching for the toy, all that's in there, mm-hmm. um, sort of that authentic. And I think you said um, curiosity, curiosity right? and interest and, and being drawn wonder, to something and like, wonder. And those are all things that would make prey dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we let prey have those things, that becomes dangerous to our predatory control. Even the way they're dressing, like you can't creatively express yourself. Right. Right. Everything is controlled. What you wear, how you do your hair. There was a special yeah. way right. to do your hair that that was everything is pushing to conformity. Meek and mild. To be meek, to be mild, to be controlled. And then again, I can't express myself in even normal ways where I want to try pants, for example, or whatever <laughs> it is. And then the pressure to hold the responsibility that what I wear impacts men in my life and mm. I would be responsible for their emotional well-being and their their lust or their falling into sin because of what I did. Everything is put on that merciful person That's right. that you have to be just right all the time so that that predator doesn't fall. Mm. You are responsible. You are responsible. So so there's never accountability for the predator. Never. Well, that's a great system. Dude, like this is great. I mean, I mean, I get to like I get to rape people and and lord over them and control them and have them do my free I have free labor. I get to do whatever I want to whoever I want. And you can't come back on me because if I hurt you, you're welcome. Like, yes. like well, now you know what it feels like to be hurt to minister to people. Mm-hmm. And if I deceive you or, or am cruel to you, well, yeah, I probably wasn't. That was just you being, you know, bad and seeing that in a negative light. So, I mean, these constructs that they create are so evil. Well, the mind fuck of I will spank you, but call an encouragement. Yes. You know, exactly. and I just don't know if, if, if even that fits under the category of gaslighting. Yeah. Like you're essentially, we're going to go for encouragement in do your you brain. Do you need encouragement? And I think to myself, I was like, from then on, like, isn't one of like the love offerings of people is in, is in kind, encouraging words. You're going to be so triggered by the word encouragement. But explain what that is, though, for well, people encouragement, who maybe didn't like, see the documentary. If you saw that, like, if you, there was a horrible part where this man brings a child up to the front. On stage. And it was like, I felt like I was watching something I shouldn't to be de- watching. To demonstrate. To demonstrate how to properly discipline quote unquote spank or encourage your child and he brought this boy up and he was like fake kind well kind but touching their rear end and saying you know you're a good boy and you're gonna grow up to be a young man as he's as he's patting this bottom and then he makes the boy hug him who didn't do it right and then he had to spank him again because the hug wasn't appropriate wasn't great enough i was like the so, amount of gaslighting and mind fuckery, yeah. excuse my language, yeah. but 
you're going to be so confused. The, and co- that, the official term cognitive dissonance. Cognitive yeah, dissonance. Right? <laughs> exactly. But my fuckery works perfectly. Well, you think about like, so you've got a child who, and the instructor is saying, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a young boy. I'm going to hit him. And after I, while I'm hitting him, I'm going to be telling him that this is good. And, and that, that he's, he is good. So and he that he's cannot good. trust. He cannot trust that he's in pain. He can't trust that he's scared. He can't trust any of his natural senses. So then I force the child to to hug me mm-hmm. and and to connect to me. Connect. And then when the child naturally has a, a resistance to wanting to connect because Who's, he's a strange man, first of all, that he doesn't know because he was brought up for a demonstration. Yeah. But but even in the real, like even if it was your parent, your, your parent, parent just yeah. physically hurt you and is angry with you and telling you you did something bad and wrong. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a natural uh, fear of that parent who just hurt you and told you you're bad and wrong. And so then this this pastor person corrects the child and says, you didn't you didn't hug me well enough. So I'm going to spank you so, again. So you weren't you weren't good enough at dissociating. You didn't love me well. Yeah, you didn't. So you didn't dissociate from how you felt enough to please me, which that intensifies the predator's power. So you need to deny yourself. You need to please me. You need to not attend to anything that you are experiencing in and of yourself. And at that moment where you need comfort the most because you are in pain, I'm going to get you to comfort me, to elevate me. And then I'm going to hurt you again because then he spanks him again because he doesn't get enough yeah. of a hug. And then the message to the boy is you will completely deny yourself. Yeah, You will completely dissociate from anything that you are experiencing and you will allow me to hurt you, to punish you, to control you, and you will hug me for it to the way I want you to. My and, job is to please you. That's right. And when I am pleased and feel good about it, because you've now allowed me to feel good about it by hugging me, then you may go. You're right. welcome. You have absolved me of any responsibility. Yes. I didn't just abuse you. It's well, the grooming of self-betrayal. Yeah. Uh, and and there's a, there are, we won't talk about it now, but there's a there's a moment where they talk about sexual abuse. Yes, and, we're going to get into and, that and, next episode. And remind us, uh, we'll, we'll remind each other to talk about that because it's a great example of of this behavior. But that was, yeah, I mean, Amber, when you're talking about that scene, uh, it's so it was. Painful. I felt so it felt so wrong to watch it yeah. because it felt like something that probably someone is watching it, and that's. Their Exciting. reality. Yeah. Their reality or maybe even pleasing to watch it. Like it's it's that disturbing. Thought. And I was like, I, I'm so glad they blurred out that child's face. But I'm thinking, who would even offer their child up to be demonstrated like that? A trusting, Just, a trusting prey <sighs> who is believing that this person is acting in their child's best interest and that this will not hurt the child, but this will be good for the child. Because I trust that this person would never hurt my child. They're only doing what's good. The umbrella. And that the trust is so powerful that you will tr- you will self-betray. People mm. have been mothering and parenting long before a book or, you know, and we have our natural instincts to protect our children, to keep them safe, to be loving, to be tender. These are natural instincts. And yet here we have exactly a mother sending your son on a stage to be hit publicly in front of who knows how many people were in that audience and, and self-betraying your motherly instinct in how this child is going to be hit or in the real life where we're actually hitting those children hard till they're oftentimes or bruised spank until you stop spank crying spank yeah exactly till you stop crying all of these things that are counterintuitive to a natural instinct because of trust because you are my authority because you told me if i submit to you God will bless me. Yeah. I am willing to self-betray at that level where I compromise my instincts. That is the systemic abuse that filters from generation to generation because prey cannot think like a predator. And, well, and, and it's not until we get that that we are going to have what we call a hashtag prey power. Yeah. Prey power exists in understanding that we are prey and we cannot allow predators to 
use this to attract us to them. We have to be able to identify it and recognize it. One of the things somebody says in there is, um, I think the cousins talks about, well, I knew the family was strict. Mm. And I thought that's so interesting. And there was a couple of people also in the documentary who spoke about um, they didn't have a language for this. Mm -hmm. And so in the absence of knowledge, in the absence of a language for what's going on, yeah. And the absence of being able to understand this is a prey and predator, you are a sitting you duck. Yeah. You you you're you're you know, you're just a sitting duck. And especially as children in this system, like if we don't speak for them, if we yeah. don't speak for ourselves, we have so much. And there's so prey are always coming, and predators are always coming up, rising through the ranks. This has to be taught. And this is why we do this. Yeah. Because we want our listeners, you know, if you've seen the documentary, if you haven't, that you will get some sort of knowledge from this experience to trust your own instincts to, you know, to maybe look at the family systems that you're listening to. or Because even all of us, yes, ask questions. Like I didn't grow up in IBLP, but I did grow up in a conservative Christian home. And there are a lot of these tenants that kind of were distilled. You know, maybe it's through our patriarchal culture. I have no idea why. But I was familiar with the umbrella system, and it was very appealing to me because it made sense. I'm like, oh, the umbrella, God covering, and, you know. But I remember my mom saying to me that that um, the greatest honor I could ever have is to be acceptable in the eyes of a man. So setting you up to Pray. be perfect. That's, that would perfect, be the greatest right? honor. Like, I was sexually abused as a teen, and the principal of the Christian school I went to sat me down and he said, you know, um, I understand how you could be very attractive to this young man because he's just going to be such a fine Christian man. So again, <sighs> and that's what they talk about, that the victim bears the burden. That's right. Yeah. Because the, the victim, Mercy. the prey, yeah. is your responsibility because this is a predator who set the system up. Yeah. That's right. So it's got to be your responsibility because it could not be the predator's responsibility because a predator set up the system to avoid all responsibility. Yeah. So uh, as somebody else said um, about domestic discipline um, th that was allowed in this type of environment. And so after the domestic discipline was provided by the husband uh, to the wife, and again, the wife is the prey. Uh, by nature of the way that this is structured. And then sex was seen after being disciplined, just like the, just like the man with the boy forced the boy to hug him. Mm. Uh, sex after domestic discipline was considered restoration. And then the woman was asked to sign a contract to be abused. And so when she signed the contract, they would decide in the contract if sex was the was was part of that contract as restoration. So these the framing of things is done in such a way that it creates this voicelessness and the responsibility is always on prey. Uh -huh. Because it wasn't set up by prey, because prey don't set up systems of abuse. Predators do. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Please join us in our next episode where we look at episodes number three and four of Shiny Happy People, Duggar Family Secrets. Mm -hmm.